Uh, this is Stan Goldstein. I have a book, Rock and Roll Tour of the Jersey Shore, and I give rock and roll themes tours of the Jersey Shore. But when I have some time and love listening to Set Lusting Bruce with the Reverend Jesse Jackson, no kidding, the Texas Jesse Jackson. So check out his podcast. He has about a new one every week, and I love checking him out. Snake Speedway in the Utah desert. I pick up my money, head back into town. Driving across the Waynesburg County line, I got the radio on, but I'm just killing time. Working all day in my daddy's garage. Driving all night, chasing some mirage. Pretty soon, darling, I'm Take charge. Well, the dogs on Main Street, how does they understand? If I could take this moment into my hands, Mister, I ain't a boy, no, I'm a man, and I believe in the promise of land. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Set Lusting Bruce, that your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me tonight is Aaron. How you doing, Aaron? I'm doing great. It is a joy to have you on here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I've been a fan since 84. I've, I've seen every tour except the Seeger Sessions since 84. I only missed the Seeger Sessions because I was running a fever the night he came closest to my hometown. Where are you from? Um, Where are you from? I'm from Detroit. I live in Vegas. And I had a ticket to go see Seeger in L, the Seeger Sessions in L.A. And I couldn't get on that bus. I was so sick. And other than that, I've seen every tour since 84. I went on 16. And uh, I've just been a diehard bootleg collector since I was 16 and uh, pretty, pretty well versed in my live Bruce from 73 right up through tonight's set. Yes, as we're recording this, it is the night before the election, November 7th, and he did a little bitty mini set. Uh, threw a surprise in there for us, didn't he? Yeah, Long Walk Home was really nice to see. I mean, you got the, the another Thunder Road acoustic was good and dancing in the dark. You know, you got to appeal to the masses, but got slipped in that Long Walk Home in the middle was really just really nice. It's going to be nice to have on YouTube for years to come on. to be able to go back and hear that one. A very, very mellow for 20,000 people in front of 20,000 people. It was a very, very mellow three-song acoustic set. Yeah, it's really nice. You know, there'd been a lot of discussion about why Bruce had not performed for Hillary since he had been very vocal, you know, in the past campaigns. But, you know, it isn't like he does it every campaign. He just has, uh, over the past couple of years, done a fair uh, amount, correct? Twelve. Yeah. Twelve, twelve years. <laughs> over the last twelve years, the last three made presidential elections, and uh, I don't know why he kept quiet this time. Maybe it's just because 
it's just been so divisive. I don't know. Yeah. But he, he came out on the last night. You know, he expressed his support for Secretary Clinton for the past several weeks as he started the book tour. And he got out there and played a fantastic short set. And, uh, well, you know, well, what took him so long? I don't know. But I'm glad he finally did it and, uh, and got out there. It was a, it was a really it's a, it's a good set to have. Absolutely. Better than previous times. You know what I like them to play though? What? How, whatever happened to that acoustic uh, "Born to Run" from from '88? That's something he could break out in one of these, you know, solo acoustic shots, and he just uh, he never breaks that out. I think there was something really special about that. You know, that is one of my favorite versions of "Born to Run." I love that. I think it changes the song when it's that tempo, and you know, with just him and a guitar. Um, it, I agree with you. It's something pretty special. He could have he could have played four, I think, but if the yeah. time wouldn't have allowed, I would have replaced that dancing in the dark with uh, right. with a nice acoustic "Born to Run" a la Tunnel of Love tour. Absolutely. So let's go back to your roots, Aaron. Tell me about growing up. What kind of music did your family listen to, and where did you grow up from? And uh, let's kind of talk about that first. I'm a Detroiter. I guess my family listened to, I don't even know what genre it is, crooners, I guess, uh, Sinatra and Neil Diamond and Barry Manilow. Those are the three names that I can remember getting, and Barbara Streisand getting played in my household. So, uh, not, you know, it wasn't a very musical household. I found music on my own. The uh, so Who and then you know, classic rock and then Springsteen and, and the Grateful Dead. And then it was just really Grateful Dead and Springsteen and nothing else for like the last, uh, and fish and, uh, and not really nothing else for the last 20 some odd years. Uh, you know, they, so much material from those three bands that I yeah. stopped yeah. looking for anything else. How about when did you graduate high school? 86. When did you discover Bruce? Uh, 84. 84, I was 16. Just before Born USA came out, I was working in the high school radio station, and I was all, you know, big-time Who fan and all classic rock. And uh, and just before the Born in the USA album came out, there was a, a, a media push on Springsteen. I'd never heard of him, and I read an article in Rolling Stone, and and I ran out to check out uh, the, the 45 of Born to Run. I think it's the first thing I ever heard. It was the 45 of Born to Run, just like weeks before Born in the USA came out. So, like, right there when everybody yeah, else was Yeah, absolutely. Right? Did, can you remember what made you kind of enjoy him so much? What captivated him versus some of these other bands you were listening to? Well, I mean, that album came out, Born in the USA, and, and Downbound Train, I think, is the first song that made me, you know, see something, you know, more in what I was listening to at that moment than in all the records that I was, you know, fan of and playing on, on the high school radio station. And, uh, and but, I, you know, it's the bootlegs, really. I mean, in 1984, near the end of the year, the beginning of 85, I got a Philadelphia show from that 84 tour 
on a bootleg called for hire. And I cannot remember which show from that Philadelphia run of the arena run in the first leg of the tour that was, but, uh, I think, you know, the first time that, uh, I really heard live recording of Springsteen, that's really where it all took off. And I became an advocate of live recordings and, you know, long before the internet, when they were a little bit harder to come by, I found myself at avenues to collect a pretty big live Springsteen collection. And, you know, once you've got that, there's just no time <laughs> to listen to anything point. else. How many times have you seen him perform live, Aaron? I, you know, I never really counted. It's definitely over 60 and below 75, but I don't know exactly. Uh, at least once a tour, but many tours, I've seen several. I only saw one on the last river tour and I, and I only saw on uh, the tour before it, the, uh, the high hopes tour, but I saw two wrecking balls and, and two uh, magics and uh, like 11 uh, rising shows or seven, seven rising shows. And what was, what am I missing? I'm missing something in between 2002 and 2007. Uh, oh, oh, I saw a lot of Devils and Dust. I, he played all over the Midwest and I was still living in Michigan. And uh, I saw a lot of Devils and Dust shows and I saw uh, Human Touch Lucky Town shows and I saw several uh, Tom Jodes and I only saw one on the reunion tour. I must have seen 15, 17 shows in 2000, 2000, 99 and 2000. And uh, saw one born in the USA in the stadium leg in 85. And I saw one uh, Tunnel of Love show. And he played two nights in my town for Tunnel of Love. And I just could not afford that $17 for that second night. And that second night he played Backstreet's. I said, isn't that <laughs> I funny? Well, I was um, also, at that time, you know, that was years so old. high. Um, and uh, $17 was a lot to come by. And I just, there was no internet. I was convinced he was just going to play the same show. And I didn't go. And he played Backstreet's, which he hadn't played first the night before. And I learned then, you know, you got to go to every show in your town. And if he's playing two nights, you go both nights. And uh, and if he's playing within five hours, you might want to get in the car and drive five hours and go see another one. Because uh, you, never, you never know what you're going to get. And uh, I learned that in 88. And since then, I've gone to usually multiple shows. It's gotten tougher in more recent years. And I moved out west. And he doesn't play out west very often. And uh, so I've tried to catch, you know, one or two shows on a tour uh, when he plays two nights in. Uh, I saw him play two nights in uh, Oakland in 2007. And I went down last year and caught the one show in L.A. on uh, – in uh where they all run together now on the high hopes tour i think yes, it sir. was and then this past year i went to detroit my hometown to see the uh the river show with my sister and uh so uh you know what i might have seen two high hopes i might have gone to detroit for that one too i don't know they they, they sure run do. together i don't i don't save my sure ticket do. subs hey uh, so talk to me about why you were so into, and it sounds like still continue to be bootlegs and live recordings of live shows. Well, I mean, I think that's where his magic is. I know 
from reading his biography, he is really intent on making that perfect album. But if you ask me, they capture uh, a, such a, a, a more an enjoyable listening experience right there live than they ever have in the studio ever among, amongst any of those studio records. You know, the live shows are a far superior time and time again. And, you know, there's, there's an energy and, and there's more than that. I mean, he's there. It's not just, a, you know, a song. He's there and, and, and I could listen to the man talk. You know, tonight was was great too because he gave a nice little speech for for uh, Secretary Clinton, and uh, you know I can listen to the man talk just as much as I can listen to him play, and uh, he's always got something to say from that stage. Um, so you know, see the the, the live he's better in front of a band than he is in in multi track, and uh, and I think that the perfection that he's always sought has been right there on the stage and it's good to see him releasing live shows now for the last two years every show uh with the exception of like just a couple uh every show has been has come out right from the soundboard for us to enjoy and i've listened to every single one of those shows that he's released i haven't skipped one uh and as far as i'm concerned that's as good as going if that's not better than going because i don't have to get in my car and go anywhere uh i, I love these downloads and i hope he keeps putting out more of the archived download shows and I'm looking forward to Australia and New Zealand and I don't have to leave Las Vegas and every show, you know, hopefully a little faster, hopefully they'll get them out a little faster than they've been getting them out. But uh, it's just uh, uh, nice to be able to hear every single show without going anywhere. And uh, uh, I mean, I would hope you understand that you listen to a lot of shows and know what I'm talking about. And if not, I hope I can convince you that that's where the magic is. The magic is. No, in I totally shows. agree with you. It is. There is. It's such a blessing that we live at a time where you do get those official downloads and you can get really good sound and you hear, you know, the other thing I think is really interesting, Aaron, is you mentioned that, the acoustical version of Long Walk Home, you mentioned we'll have that on YouTube for years. I, I think this is amazing that when, you know, earlier this year or last year, I guess, Bruce, you know, was at a Jackson Brown show and sang with him. And it isn't like, oh, I wish I could have been there. It's, oh, I can't wait for him to post that video where you can see it, um, you know, because of cell phones and because of this technology and the YouTube and internet, you do get to see those special moments. I always say it's a great time to be a fan. It, it really is. And this has been a really magical year, um, especially when you consider this was the tour that wasn't supposed to happen. You know, they were not planning to do this river tour and then one thing led to another to another and you've gotten this amazing tour some wonderful shows some rarities being played some great chemistry out there the band sounds better than they ever have in my opinion and just and then when you get his book it's just been a great Bruce Springsteen year 
the book was such a treat and uh, I can't wait for the, you know, I read it cover to cover, but I can't wait for the uh, audio book so he can read it to me one more time. I'll sit through it one more time for him to uh, read it to me, which I just think is going to be spectacular. I think so too. I've ordered, you know, I ordered the Kindle version. I ordered the hardback and then I did get the audio and I do want to hear that. I'm looking forward to him telling his own story. Yeah. Me too. Great. So as we talk about this, are there favorite songs or albums of his that, have meant to you meant something to you or have you used during you know a, a special part in your life yeah that's a hard question to answer you know my favorite my favorite release is tracks and probably because there's so, so many songs on there that i don't hear all the time because i listen to so much live and you know until 99 really nothing on tracks got much play at all and uh and even since 99 you know it's it's a rarity it's once in a while you know he's played uh you know a handful of times you know a handful of songs and there's still you know three discs worth of songs that never get played and so if you want to hear him you got to go to the studio you know you got to go to the studio recording because you know you're not going to find it live uh and uh so i would say tracks is probably the one i listen to the most from the you know studio recordings and uh when i go back whenever i go back to the studio albums i'm always like they they sound so sterile to me they sound like so not live and you know i've always been a live music listener you know i see i I saw 100 grateful dead shows and 60 plus bruce shows and 60 plus fish shows and i listen to all three of them live that's what i I generally listen to is for me Live music just holds uh, holds my attention more than studio studio music. So it's tough. I mean, I guess if I had to pick a favorite that wasn't track, and maybe track isn't my favorite, but it's the one I listen sure. to the most. Uh, it was you know the, the darkness and and born to run, of course, are the are the two back to back. You know, the probably the, the highlight of his writing and the highlight of his recording career. But uh, you know, magic girls in their summer clothes and and uh and you know right up i could you know i could find uh I, there's not a cut when people criticize a cut there's not a cut in his entire catalog that i i have a negative right. opinion of i really right. the whole catalog from from mary queen of arkansas right up through uh the queen of the supermarket or, or even high hopes uh they all they all really have something for me every single one i don't track through when it hits a certain song i don't hit the next very often uh, i'm more likely to hit next time born to run sure. because i've heard it because i've heard it four billion times and uh so you know it's a, it's a difficult question to answer what you know what's your favorite i'll tell you what's what's my favorite whichever one just came out <laughs> that's on. a good answer you know especially if i'm in public and i hear something over the loudspeaker you know and it could be a secret garden or something on the adult on the adult contemporary channel that they're playing in there and it's like i'm always just you know, drop everything and and tune right in and uh and so it doesn't matter what he plays that's you know what they say about the set list for the live show doesn't matter what he plays as long as he's playing i don't have a uh a, a desert island pick i've got a desert island hard drive and yeah. it's full. I, I, this is another tough question, but 
Um, do you have a couple of do you have some live songs either that you heard in person or just through a you know through the different recordings that mean something to you? And while you're thinking, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, I love the version of Jolie Blanc when he's down in Australia. That was a sign request, and that you could, you know, when they play that one in Australia, I think that's a beautiful song. And then when in Houston in 2014, a sign request was One Step Up, and he did it there in Houston. Uh, that was a really wonderful because you could tell the bell the the band had not rehearsed that and you know Bruce even makes that joke we do not know this one sir you have made your bed and they do it so you know those are just two of I could name a hundred of live songs that just mean a lot to me anything that's the problem yeah. with the questions is there's so many that you can name. Uh, you know, right now, lately, I've been listening to the Wild and the Innocent show from from Brisbane a lot. I really like that show, all in all, and uh, and especially the the whole Wild and the Innocent segment. Yeah. Uh, just because there's so many songs on there that you don't get to hear live very often, and 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 you've got the 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 incident Rosie segue, which is always you know nice because it's always. When when the incident ends and there's no Rosie, it always seems like it's missing something. Uh, you know, maybe my favorite of them of everything is Little Queenie from from Milwaukee, uh, '75, the Bomb Scare Show. I just I think that there's it might be my favorite recording of all time that Bomb Scare Show. Um, and you know, of course, the the diehard classics, the 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 Incident from 75 from Bryn Mawr from uh, the main point in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. And, you know, that, that, that incident is just so incredible. Um, tough to pick no, a favorite. Let's go with incident no, from Bryn Mawr. Good. You did pretty well. Um, one of the reasons, and by the way, I, I make this call when often on Twitter and almost on every podcast, that I'm always looking for guests. I want people to join me and share their Springsteen story. And Aaron reached out via Twitter and said, hey, I'd love to talk. Um, said, you know, I, there's a lot of different topics I could visit. But there is one topic where you have an HBO, a hot Bruce opinion. And so uh, I'm going to let you get on your soapbox, sir, and share a – Bruce-atorial, or should I say an errantorial, uh, about um, ticket availability, right? You've got this uh, – you've got a little bit of different take on this, don't you? Yeah, everybody is wrong about tickets. If you, if you spend a little time and learn a little bit about how tickets are distributed, you will have a much more pleasant ticket-buying Springsteen experience. And, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, the problem with ticket sales is scalpers and these bots that buy up all the tickets on first day sales. And those things are so minor to the situation. And then they get everybody ignited and they make people and 
You know what sells tickets? Whether you whether you buy them from an aftermarket or whether you buy them directly from Ticketmaster, what sells tickets for more than they're worth and what sells bad bad seats is fear. Fear. Everybody's afraid they're not going to get in, which doesn't happen. Do you know anybody who says they 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 wanted to go see Bruce Springsteen in a twenty thousand seat venue and they didn't get in? Those are people who didn't try to get in. They gave up long before the concert actually happened. They just got it in their mind that they weren't going to get any for a reasonable price and they stopped trying because anybody who wants to go goes you know and i also and i i appreciate your passion i also think some people are and i'm going to be very careful here picky about well i want to be on the floor or i need to be you know in a certain section versus i don't care as long as under the i'm in the building if you take that attitude, you're going to have the worst seat in the building. <laughs> you should want you should want a good seat, and you should. And here's what I want to convey: never buy a seat where you're not a hundred percent either happy with the seat or the price, okay. one or the other. I mean, you know, if if someone's going to sell you a dirt cheap upper level and you want to save some money. You know, there's a good reason to buy that seat. But when people spend too much for a seat they don't even like, and there's still three weeks to go before the show, they're making a poor buying decision based on fear that they're not going to get in. And that never happens. They will get in. In fact, if they wait, they'll probably get in for a reasonable price in a much better seat because the Bruce Camp holds back a lot of seats. And those seats get put on sale generally within three to five days of the show, if not the day of the show, right there at the box office uh, for fans that are just coming in town. Or what a lot of people do is they buy more. They buy, they bought their seats initially because they were scared they might not get in. They might be shut out, which never happens. And then they end up in that line on the day of the show hoping to get better seats. And then they end up eating the ones that – we're bad and they, and then nobody wants to buy from them for face value because they're bad seats. You know, fear, if you're buying tickets because, because you're afraid you're not going to get in, that's a false fear. And Ticketmaster preys on that fear and, and scalpers prey on that, on that fear. And when people go and they go online on the day they go on sale and they see, Oh, it's only been on sale for five minutes and it's sold out. Well, a great deal of the tickets that were, that were available haven't even been made off available yet. They don't put all 20,000 seats on sale there. They have holdbacks for a lot of different reasons, for VIPs, for family of the band, for press, because they're not sure if they're going to be obstructed once they build the stage. For a lot of reasons, they don't put on a great deal of seats, sometimes the best seats in the house. Those were never even available. They didn't go to some scalper. They're not in the system yet. You've got to wait for them. You've got to have patience and relax on the fear. And then all of a sudden, StubHub has these tickets for $1,000, and everybody gets angry. But they're not they, – people say, oh, they're going for $1,000. They're not going for $1,000. They're being offered for $1,000. And unless somebody pays $1,000, they're not going to go for $1,000. They're going to go for whatever that reseller can get for it before the show. And once the show happens, they, the, the, they go down to $0. So – as long as that fear period is open, they're going to advertise them for the most they could possibly imagine getting, usually a little higher than they can possibly imagine getting for them because they know they're going to field offers. The stress that people go through between the day they go on sale and the week before the show is ridiculous because the best seats are bought in that week. 
you got to have the patience. Everybody gets in. I'll get on a plane with no tickets. The day of the show, I'll get on a plane with no tickets and pay for my plane ticket and not worry for a second that I'm not going to get in. I'm going to get in. That's not a problem. I might be worried, will I get a decent seat? Will I have to pay too much for a bad seat? Well, that's not going to happen either because if it's a bad seat, I'm not going to pay for it. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I might offer a lowball offer to somebody who got stuck with a bad seat. They got stuck with it because they bought too many tickets because they upgraded. And if they want more money for their ticket, they can pay me or they, or they can give me the better seat. If they want to sit in the better seat, they have to take a loss on their, their just-in-case ticket that they bought because they were worried that they might not get in. We all get in. Nobody's ever been sitting outside the show at 8 o'clock and the band's coming on and there's not a ticket to be had. At the Stone Pony, you know, at, 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 the, uh, at the convention center in Asbury Park, yeah, people aren't going to get in. There's more people that want to get in than will fit in there. But in a 20,000-seat venue, that's 10,000 people coming with their wife or their girlfriend or their brother or whoever they're going with. Most people go to concerts in twos or fours. All those, in the 10,000 people that are holding tickets, there's hundreds of them that have an extra ticket. Aside from the ones that are going to be sold at the box office on the day of the show, there's hundreds of people who have an extra ticket. And so... There's always ways to get in. Now there's, oh, well, I want to bring four people. Well, if you want to bring four people, now you might have to spend more of a premium to get in because you need four seats together. And that's really not about uh, anything more than your own personally. If you want to sit with your friends and the bigger your group is, the more you might have to spend to procure tickets in advance. And that's, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. If you're buying a pair or even a single, and you're buying it three weeks in advance and you're paying too much for it, you're paying face value for the worst seat in the house, or you're paying overface for a mediocre seat, or you're paying overface for a, for a, uh, a general mission. Anyone who pays overface for a general mission is just, they're crazy. The general missions are going to go for half face value on the night of the show. And the general mission that was procured three months in advance and the one that was procured the day of the show that's the same ticket. As long as you got it before the lottery, that's the same ticket. They have equal value, but they're worth more three, three months out because people are afraid they're not going to get in, which is, again, what I wanted to talk about is how that's a ridiculous fear. The scalpers, they're there. There's not much you can do about them. All Congress is going to do, you know, remember uh, paperless, everything they do to try to stop scalpers just ends up hurting the consumer. Remember paperless tickets? Yeah. That was the worst thing they ever came up with. I missed uh, something in the night thanks to paperless tickets uh, because I was standing outside waiting for the guy with the credit card who hadn't gotten to the show yet because he was he, he lives in L.A. and I was in L.A. to meet him and, and he was on his way from work and he was late. Now, if, if they were paper tickets, I would have gone in and met him at the seats, but I couldn't get in until he got there. And uh, so that's paperless tickets is really the reason that I missed something in the night. And I've never seen something in the night. I've seen 60 plus shows. I, I was, you know, my one shot, there it was, and it was gone thanks to pay, paperless tickets. Now, I don't know how many scalpers really had a problem making their money off of that show that had paperless tickets. Uh, I think the answer is zero. Zero scalpers really were affected by the paperless uh, situation. But consumers were, consumers that had an extra ticket 
that they had to get rid of, consumers that had, you know, to leave work a little bit late and their friends were waiting for them at the venue, uh, you know, we're the ones that get hurt. It sounds like a good idea, but when it comes right down to it, there's not a lot of good ideas for stopping scalping. And they're not buying up the whole arena. That's everybody's fear. They're buying up the whole arena. But if you go for any show, I don't care if it's Bruce Springsteen or, or Bon Jovi or Pink, if you go on StubHub and add them up, there's 27 tickets, 57 tickets. There's under 100 tickets. There's 20,000 tickets right. in the arena. It's not, right. they're not all going to the scalper. Your anger's in the wrong place. Here's why they sell out on the first day sale so fast. One, they don't put them all in. But even if they did put them all in, 20,000 people, even if the limit is two, which it's not, it's usually four or eight or even 12. But if, even if the limit is two, only 10,000 people can buy them. How many people are logging in right at 10 a.m.? It's more than yes. 10,000. It's thousands more than 10,000. You have to be lucky to get tickets on first day sales, especially good ones. And if you're buying the bad ones, that's why they do it that way. They need to sell those awful tickets. They need to sell those upper level way in the back. And the only way to do that is fear, fear of not getting anything better. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy these because I might not get anything better. If I find something better, I'll buy more. And if you can afford to do that, great, because I'm going to buy your bad one on the day of the show for 20 bucks. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate you getting me in. You know, it, it's all about fear, and it's not just the scalpers who use fear so they can charge 650 a month before the show. It's also Ticketmaster using the fear to push the worst seats in the house first. And those, the best seats don't even come out. You know, they bleed out little by little throughout the, throughout the month and a half or three months or whatever, however long in advance they sold them. And then, you know, they usually drop a whole bunch of them the week of, three days before, even the day of. Those are your best ways to get tickets. And even StubHub is a great way to get tickets for face, for below face, for a little bit over face, but a good ticket, but not four weeks out. If you need, if you're going to have anxiety over during those four weeks waiting for your ticket, you know, you, you need some value because uh, don't buy your ticket until, until you're A, happy with the seat, happy with the price, and, uh, or at least it's the night of the show. You know, if it's the night of the show, you still don't have a ticket and you still can't find one at a good price, then you might have to bite the bullet and pay more, but that isn't going to happen. It's never happened to me. I've never paid face value on the night of the show. I'll pay less than face on the night of the show for whatever ticket I buy. And I usually sit pretty good. In fact, I'll usually get a GA in time for the, for the lottery. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that passion. Good job. My pleasure. I appreciate no you having me on the show. Hey, no problem. Any final words uh, you want to share with us? Uh, at the moment, I can't think of anything, but if you ever want to call and get me back on, I've always got something to talk about. Look, when we, when we planned this show, we didn't know we'd have a live set tonight to talk about. Yeah. And we did a nice little three song live set that, uh, if you, and if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, go look it up. It was a real nice mellow in front of 20,000 people, very mellow solo acoustic set. And, uh, and a really nice long walk home in the middle. Yeah, I'm, I've recorded it. I haven't got to see it yet. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Thank you so much. I appreciate your 
passion and your sharing your stories. And I will, uh, we certainly will have you back on again. And if you listeners want to join me to talk about Set Lusting Bruce and all that implies, please reach out to me at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. I am at Twitter, Jesse Jackson DFW, as well as at Set Lusting Bruce. If they want to reach you, how can they, kind sir? Uh, my name is Aaron Cozen, A-R-O-N-K-O-Z-I-N, at gmail.com. And, uh, well, for now, we're going to thank everyone for their support. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Poor dogs on Main Street Hall, because they understand why I could take this moment into my hands. Mr. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.